now carrying spices, flour, jams, mustards, coffee and tea, organic vegetables and fruits, and local eggs, milk, cheese, and baked goods. And, of course, cooking basics and tools of the trade for everyone at home. Home Goods of Margaretville. Open every day. 845-586-4177 or hgom.net. FNBC Construction and Cleaning in Margaretville. For commercial and residential construction, cleaning, repairs, and maintenance services for houses, apartments, offices, universities, restaurants, warehouses, and supermarkets. FNBC Construction and Cleaning. 917-686-0283. 917-686-0283. Or fnbccorp.com. The Catskill Revitalization Corporation, home of the Catskill Scenic Trail, along the old rail bed from Roxbury to Bloomville. With its wide path, gentle grade, and durable surface, the Catskill Scenic Trail is designed for year-round outdoor recreation. Hiking, biking, running, horseback riding, and during snow season, snowshoeing and cross-country skiing. Details at CatskillScenicTrail.org. This is Dan O'Connell, host of Monday Morning Music on WIOX Roxbury. As a WIOX spokesperson, I also manage underwriting for the station, and I'm here to let you know that underwriting on WIOX is a great way to support the station and inform the community about your business or service. If you'd like to become an underwriter, contact me for details at 607-326-3900 or WIOX at WIOXradio.org. Listening to WIOX Community Radio live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi and everywhere at WIOXradio.org on computers or smartphones. This is from the forest with Ryan, John, and Zara. How's it going, guys? 
Going good, Ryan. What's up? Um, tapped maple trees. Wow. We'll see if they ran tonight. You know, they're kind of stubborn in the beginning when it's warm, but uh, tomorrow is going to be like almost 50 degrees, so that should wake them up. But I might go back tonight and have some sap. I have no idea. Trees do what they want. Cool. How much sap would you need to boil your first boil? you got to fill mean, the pan, right? Yeah, yeah. 10 gallons. I, I can do it. Yeah. Okay. 10 gallons. Even eight, maybe. Nice. I don't need much. I mean, it holds 20, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. How early did you tap last year? First or second of January. Okay, so much yeah. earlier. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, I, yeah. Go ahead. Well, well, I was just going to say, it's, we finally had some winter. It's just finally tucking and uh, loading the wood stove up and <laughs> yeah. keeping warm, right? Week of winter. Now we're, now we're tapping trees. <laughs> That's right. All right, winter's over. Winter's practically over, John. Well, I know. I was, we were talking about it the other day. You know, you can look at the long term. It's so far out. You can see like into mid-February, and then after that, it's forget it. It's March. It, now it's March. So we get that winter, March sun. Winter's already over. We didn't have point. it. That's right. <laughs> it's all going to melt. All the snow we have left. All the snow we have left. So, yeah. All two inches. Yeah, the, the dusting of snow we got. The dusting. Yeah, there's eight inches upper Millbrook today. All right. I drove up there. How about that? Well, tonight's topic is wood heating with Whole Systems Designs Ben Falk. And um, Ben, is he's developed Whole Systems Designs as a land-based response to biological and cultural extinction and the increasing separation between people and elemental things. He has studied architecture and landscape architecture at the graduate level and holds a master's degree in land use planning and design. Ben has conducted more than 650 site developments and land inspection consultations across the U.S. and abroad. He has facilitated dozens of courses on property selection, permaculture design, and resilient systems. And he is the author of the award-winning book, The Resilient Farm and Homestead. And let me see if I can get Ben on. Ben, are you there? Yeah, hey, I can hear you. All right. Yeah, so uh, where are you calling in from, Ben? I'm here right in pretty much central Vermont, middle middle of Vermont, Mad River Valley, and uh, it's certainly a lot more wintry than it sounds like it's it's been uh, down for you guys lately. Yeah, we had about um, you know like a week of true, like I would say true winter or whatever, right? Got yeah. down to teens, single digits, but uh, it's pretty mild right now. Yeah, I mean, hearing you talk about tapping trees, um, that's just like it's earlier than ever in Vermont, but here in the mountains. People aren't even thinking about uh, sap run until March, you know, even with these last bunch of mild winters. Well, what was your high today there? Uh, today got up to like 28. It's, it's really mild right now, but mm. I mean, um, and this is a super mild winter, don't get me wrong, but it's still like, there's still, you know, a foot to three feet of snow on the ground, depending where you are, and it's, um, you know, the ground's frozen, and it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to be some months before things really feel like Saps running, you know, in a reliable way. Right, right, yeah. Well, we're talking about what wood heating tonight, right? Mm-hmm. And before we get into that, just sure. you know, if you could describe what whole systems design is. Yeah, that's that's my site planning uh, business. It's like about twenty five, almost twenty five years old now. And yeah, we do. So it's basically a landscape architecture company crossed with uh, like a farm design business, which isn't really something that exists, but, you know, it's farm, farming, homesteading, and landscape architecture combined. So we help people choose property, evaluate property they're looking for, uh, design, you know, the site, do site planning, um, 
And then we we also make, you know, planting plans, construction drawings, you know, full, like, landscape architecture uh, services. And then sometimes if it's close to where I live or where my partner lives, we'll plant, we'll do plantings, you know, pretty large-scale, like, uh, farm, farm-scale farm plantings or, or smaller, you know, edible landscape installations if they're close. And then I do a lot of consulting, you know, on that, on along those lines for people who want to grow food and restore the ecology, you know, of where they live. So burning is part of that homestead vision, I guess? Burning yeah, wood? I mean, heating, well, heating, you know, well, a lot of our work's in cold climate and in the cold climate, and heating obviously is a crucial need, and you're not going to really just do it only with passive solar in this part of the world. Um, so wood, yeah, wood is... Uh, is incomparable in terms of its resiliency uh, as far as a heat source. If you if you want to be sure to have a heat source, uh, you need you need wood in this part of the world. Um, if you're in a really sunny place, you don't. Very reliably sunny. Even then, in the, in the Rockies, northern Rockies, you're going to want a wood backup. Um, you know, heat pumps and all that great within reason, but they're just you know they're highly technical systems. They're dependent on continuous electricity so you can't rely on them there you know there's not a, a resiliency to those and arguably they're less sustainable too than a well well managed you know firewood production system in the landscape i've heard you describe on some of your videos the uh, wood heat as the ultimate solar power can you explain exactly what you mean by that yeah well you know i mean the, the term solar pa- power or renewable energies apply to a lot of things so, you know, think about uh, how it's applied to solar photovoltaics, right? Typically what we call a solar panel, although that, that could mean solar hot water, too. But nowadays when people say solar panel, they're talking about photovoltaic, you know, silicon electricity producing panel that's, let's say, 20% efficient is about what they are now, I think. Um, so you're going to get sunshines on it. You're going to get some electricity out of it. But there's tons of externalities. I mean, the aluminum for the frame has to be mined, you know, from bauxite, which is probably from Australia, and then smelted in Iceland, and you know, all of the other electrical um, components within it, metals, are totally non-renewable. You know, those are fossil minerals. Um, so largely, what we what we see when we say renewable energy, and we're talking about like highly technical systems like solar photovoltaics um, or wind power. Um, we're talking about systems that, you know, have a lot of externalities that are totally unsustainable. We're not counting them, and they're really based on fossil minerals. So that system does, you know, harvest some sol- true solar power, sun photons and wind, which is also due to the sun, due to differences in pressure, you know, in the atmosphere. So that's also solar panel. But that's not that's not all of the energy we're getting out of it, right? Um, there's a lot of other inputs into those systems. So if you look at a wood system, there is there are some externalities. You've got the wood stove. You've got to make that. So that's that's an externality. But it's very low, uh, arguably, compared to some of the other systems. Um, and it lasts a very, very long time, you know, generations, really, a, a steel wood stove ores could last. And the um, power, the, the solar energy that's harvested outside in the landscape, photons taken up by trees, stored as lignin cellulose, and then burn. That's completely renewable. We've done an energy return on energy invested 
analysis of our wood heating, and we get about 40 times the BTUs uh, from trees as for every one unit, 40 units, of B, 40 BTUs, let's say, for every one BTU we put in with gas and diesel to do the harvesting, right? Because I use gas in my chainsaw and I use diesel in my tractor. And that 40 to 1 accounts for the life cycle impact and the embodied energy of my wood splitter, which I use sometimes, of the share of the tractor I use to harvest and of the chainsaw. So it's really more like if you were comparing that to the EROI, energy return on energy invested of a solar panel or, um, you know, petroleum crude oil being mined in a traditional oil well, um, that's actually, it's actually higher. It's more like 60 to 70 to 1 because most of those EROIs don't don't account for the embodied energy of the equipment used, which you really need to do to do a, an honest accounting. Well, so, yeah, one, I, one I, way to account for it, you know, is price. I mean, look at look at solar and everything. I mean, I don't know if, well, how Vermont is, but the amount of money New York State subsidizes subsidizes uh, solar. It's a lot. Well, you know, I'll give you an example. Like one one member of ours, over twenty two thousand dollars from the state, twenty two to match by the owner for their solar voltaic energy. Yeah. I mean, a simple wood stove, twenty five three thousand dollars is a pretty damn good wood stove. Yeah, very good. Totally modern, high efficiency, 70% efficiency, let's say, wood stove that will never break. You know, it won't need to be serviced by some tech. Right. It doesn't know the grid is up or down. It's not a complicated piece of technology. You know, it's like 200, 300-year-old technology. Um, Yeah, pretty pretty low-hanging fruit. You know, I compare it to, like, siving hay, like, and storing hay. You know, we just, I don't think any of the new systems are are truly bigger win at harvesting and storing solar energy than like hay in a barn or wood for a wood stove. We, we haven't beaten that energy return on energy investment. Not even close, really. Do you have any there? No. No. Um, so, I mean, why else should someone burn in 2024, Ben, with all this technology we got going on? What sticks out to you? I mean, you just mentioned, obviously, you know, right. the sustainability, the simplicity. What yeah. else sticks out to you about that? I mean, why burn? Well, what, what you brought up, I think, is great. I mean, the affordability. So in thinking about this more in the last couple of weeks since we scheduled this talk, I was thinking about, you know, different angles on it. And I've always thought about just the affordability. So for your average person, maybe they don't care about the, the global sustainability of it. These are... Uh, low down on the hierarchy of needs for many people. Understandably, you need you need to uh, be able to afford to heat your house. And I figured out the other day I ran the numbers, and I save about two thousand dollars a year heating with wood. So if this home that I'm in right now has been heated with propane, it has a 500 gallon propane tank that we basically fill. My wife and I, when we've been here full time, every three years or or less. And when we've rented this house, which we have through a winter, your average person, even if they use the wood a little bit, fills it at least once in the winter, or if not twice. And I figured basically we spend about $400 on wood if I was buying the wood, but I'm not. I'm harvest off my own site. 
and the house would be $2,000 to heat with propane. It, it is $2,000 to heat with propane. So these aren't like academic conjectures. Like we have the actual data because it's the same house we're talking about. And uh, so there's like a $2,000 savings, you know, roughly. I mean, it could be 2500 one year, depending on the propane. It could be like 1800 the other. Yeah. Although the cost of propane reliably goes up year to year on the whole um, because the earth isn't producing it as quickly as it's producing trees. You know, it's much less renewable. So just the affordability is massive. I mean, your average person, if they heat, heat with wood in an efficient way, is, you know, going to going to pay like 20 to 30 percent of what they pay for diesel or, or propane which is how pretty much everyone eats in this part of the world and is that including heating hot water or just having heat in general from a wood stove well both it's true for both but we get all of our winter hot water from our wood stove and that's to me one of the really cool things about this integrated wood cook stove system is we just you know, we, we get all of our basic heat needs, which is space heat, hot water, plus we can cook on it and bake in it, and we do a lot. Um, but cooking and baking isn't a huge use of fossil fuel for most people. Um, like, we would probably burn, like, 80 gallons of propane a year just cooking if we never cooked on our wood stove. But hot water is not an insignificant use. That could be, like, a sixth, a sixth to a quarter of people's home energy budget can be going energy use can be going to the hot water, heat their hot water. So how do you go about heating with hot water then? On your wood stove? We, yeah, so we've we've done about, well, we've had four main systems we've built over the last 20 years, and we've tweaked each one like two to five times. And so the most recent version we have, which is by far the best one, version 4.6, basically I call it, is a high-efficiency wood cook stove, and we have copper tubing on the outside of the firebox, and it thermoside. The cool water comes into the bottom. Heat, heat creates, a, you know, when warm water is lighter than cold water, so it rises, creates a convection loop. So that water thermosiphons naturally to the tank, which is one floor above the hot water tank, a 50-gallon tank. No, no pump involved. You don't want a pump in that for various reasons. And that... We have basically 120 to 160, 170 degree water at any time in that tank when we're running the stove, and uh, essentially it's 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 free hot water in that way, and it's not expensive either. Like the parts to make that is like a hundred bucks of copper, so it's it's very cheap. Now you may have seen water jacket systems or coils going through the stove. We've tried those too. And this, this system actually works better and keeps the wood stove working a lot more efficiently. You don't want to draw the heat into the, into the hot water inside the firebox because you're actually lowering your efficiency of burn because you want to be over 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit for a high-efficiency burn. And a, a, a coil with water in it or a water jacket, which is like a stainless steel little tank, which is traditionally how all these have been set up, sucks a ton of heat out of your wood stove out of your firebox because it's, you know, a 150-degree wall of the firebox, which is freezing cold compared to the rest of the firebox. So you knock your efficiency way down, which is like the worst thing you can do because the higher efficiency burn you do, the better. You're immediately way less heat out of the wood because a lot of the heat uh, is in the volatile gases, and it's like 40 to 60% of the heat in the wood is in that gaseous form, apparently, and that only ignites at like over a thousand degrees 
Gotcha. So, I mean, at what point do you need a, you know, to be a plumbing technician to figure this out? Yeah. Um, I had a professional hum- plumber help me do the first three systems, two, two to three systems. And I learned a lot going through that. And um, I would recommend that if you're not at least like a home owner level plumber. Uh, but it's really not hard. I mean, basically, you have to know how to sweat copper pipe, which is a good skill to have. It's really not hard. You can learn it on YouTube and teach it to yourself for very little money invested, like not almost nothing. Um, so, yeah, once you know the design like of the system, I mean, any, any handy person uh, who knows how to sweat pipe could, could do it. Um, it has to be done right. You know, you need pressure relief valves, like, there's a safety, there's safety implications for sure. You, you need to set it up like a normal furnace, which has a pressure relief valve. So you're not making a pipe bomb. You know, if you boil it, you have to have a way for that pressure to come out. So that's what those pressure relief valves are, which are in all, all furnace systems in everyone's home. But it's, I mean, it's way less complex than your average heating system in a house. Way less complex than like a heat pump or like an inverter, you know, mm-hmm. for a solar system, you know, anything like that. Um, do pretty, you, pretty straightforward. Do you have problems or concerns with, say, guests or kids in the house knowing that water in that tank's 160, 170 degrees? That's hot. That's scalding hot. Yeah. Um, no, because, I mean, your average, uh, many homes, I mean, million homes have water that hot in their tank. They're not, you know, they're not going to, as long as you have a, a pressure leaf valve, it's not going to, like, burst. Um, no, I get that. I, I just mean yeah. by at faucet temperature. I mean, most. I'm just. Oh no, no. Well, we mo- use most mix- hot water we systems. Use a, we use a mixing valve, so it doesn't. It will never get to the faucet that way. For the same reason, it won't in any other house that has a mixing valve, because the mixing valve only allows you dial it to whatever you want. So mm. I have it like at 125. So the hottest you turn your furnace, the tank can be 170. I turn my kitchen sink all the way hot. It's only 125, no matter how long I run it. Gotcha. Yeah, that was my concern. That's because there's a safety mixing valve in the Mm -hmm. system. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I have a a six-year-old, and he takes a long shower every day if we can get him to, which is is most days. I take an egregiously long shower, and my wife takes a pretty long shower, too. We do a lot of laundry, and we do a bunch of dishes, and this system makes enough hot water for all of that. In the in the swing in the swing um, season, so like starting at about mid March, if it's sunny, you know, forty degree day, we don't. But then our two solar hot water panels, flat plate solar panels, old school technology, they start making a lot of heat. And then same, you know, up to about mid October. So there's a time in October, November, and like April, March, April, where it's sometimes if it's not very sunny, but it's like fifty, we're not really running the stove then the propane furnace will kick on and keep our water tank warm. And that's actually when we burn, like, any of the propane we burn for hot water is, is then, is in the swing season. Hmm. Last question on water. Do you think it would produce enough to do, uh, like, a small zone radiant heat somewhere? Like a mudroom yeah. or a bathroom? For sure. It totally can. It, you can. And you can set it up to heat more water and take more water from the stove or less, depending on your needs. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I have one system with SE Ironheart in one of the buildings that we've, we've done this in, 
And that thing cranks hot water. It actually makes it like a little too much in some ways for us. So I want to hook it with a circulator to a zone. Like, I mean, it's a good problem to have, have too much hot water. I just need to set up a radiant zone and the building's on a slab. So I, I don't have an easy way to like pour, you know, pour a slab onto some tech somewhere. But yeah, I mean, radiant floor heating is, is an awesome thing to have. So yeah. Cool. I don't know what it's like up there in Vermont, but um, any issues that you've heard about around you or anywhere else with building code? Yeah, it's a great question. And so straight up, it's totally against code to have any non-UL listed appliance in your house, mm. like anywhere. And so, I mean, most houses are against code to some extent, but this system, if you modify any appliance in your house, furnace, heck, your dishwasher, it's no longer UL listed, right? Because they didn't test that version of that tech. So th there's no UL listing, obviously, on, on this system that's customized. Yeah. Uh, and that would make it pretty sure against code anywhere. Um, but a lot of states in rural places don't have an enforced building code. Like, so in Vermont, in rural places, there is no home inspection, like, because if my house, God forbid, burns down, it's not going to burn another house down. In the cities, there are, for, for good reason, because your house could burn another house down. But so, like, in Vermont, you can wire a house, you can plumb your house, you can do whatever. You can frame the roof with two-by-fours. No one's going to inspect it. There's no building code um, that is that you have to follow. There is a building code, but it's a guideline. That's not the case in New Jersey or Massachusetts, probably I'm from New York. What little, you know, what I know about it is there, are, there is probably a more hardcore code than Vermont. Uh, so, yeah, it's somewhat, um, you know, state by state. Yeah, I mean, New York, it, it's a home rule state, so municipality, like the town's going to matter. The county, less so, but matters. And then there's state code. And all these things are just, right. they're, they're crazy, you know. They make things so expensive, maybe well-intentioned, but, yeah, um Many towns, oh, yeah. even that are sparsely settled or uh, populated, rather, in New York State, have have code enforcement officers. Unfortunately, really? I think, I yeah. think in, in my opinion, because they get busy and uh, you know, they, basically neighbors complain about their neighbor, and bam, that yeah. guy shows up. Yeah, and I mean, you know, like in Massachusetts, my buddy couldn't wire his bathroom. It's just like illegal. You have to have a certified electrician wire your bathroom. Um, do, do some people still wire a bathroom? You know, they do, but so there's always a judgment call you have to make. But, right. you know, if you're going to rent it or you have to have it be a public building, you know, I wouldn't do something like this, obviously. But in your own home, um, yeah, if you run through most any home with a fine tooth comb, like you'll find things that are out of code. Sure. When's the market going to pick up on this and start UL uh, testing this? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I wouldn't hold my breath on that. Yeah. I think Americans, I mean, I think Americans are having a tough time doing way simpler things than even heating a house with a regular old wood stove as time goes on. So I'm seeing our culture go the opposite way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for people who want a high degree of resiliency and security and sustainability and affordability in their own home and they're hands-on, you know, this is like no, no brainer. This is such low hanging fruit. I mean, it says low hanging fruit is a bunch of raised beds in your front yard with garlic and potatoes and salad greens in it for your own well being and affordability. Um, but Essie in Europe, in Britain, is UL listed there, and they have more stringent codes on the whole in Britain than in the US. 
and and they make these stoves off the shelf with a water jacket that's totally code compliant in the UK. So that's worth worth knowing. Yeah, my uh, I used to have a baker's oven, Nectar in Australia. Not the best stove in the world, but um, it had a water jacket all, all ready to go. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it seems like in UK, Scotland, uh, or Ireland, you know, kind of the United Kingdom as a whole, Great Britain and Australia, yeah, these there's just a tradition of, of like having like a hydronic wood stove as tech. And yeah, they've they've accepted it much more. It's no more it's no more of a hazard potential than like a, a home furnace. Right. I mean in some ways there's there's less to go wrong in a lot of ways. Um, but there is the wild card of like the person feeding the you know, feeding the system and it's not automated like, you know, your propane furnaces. What about um I mean, you know, air quality I'm sure comes up in your discussions yeah. on YouTube and stuff. You know, New York State just banned gas stoves and propane 2026 less than 740 wow. um if they're going to use that logic wood stoves are just next so yeah what would you say so they to that banned, they banned they banned propane um cook stove gas cook stoves to, to own that or just to buy new construction, new construction by 2026 right. yeah under yeah. seven floors 2029 above but they exempted large large commercial and industry and restaurants so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone else, yeah. you're out of luck. Chef, chefs aren't going to have cooking <laughs> on an electric brain. <laughs> yeah. So what, I um, mean, what do you think about that? Like, how, how, what would be yeah. your advice to make it cleaner, or or in general? I mean, totally. well, we, no, we, John and I both burn wood, so you know we. It's a good. It's a good question, and I will say first off, like that wood produces pollution, like all forms of energy do. You know, there's no free lunch. Yeah. And so sometimes when people get hating on, on wood burning, they're like, that causes pollution. Okay, you go, have you gone to the lithium mine or the copper mine for your, you know, the <laughs> thing that you think is better? Like, that, that pollutes the groundwater. Um, so they all, we're all, ta- we're taking from the earth to be here, to live. Like, it's like Wendell Berry said, you know, just what's the responsible way you want to use? Because it's all, you, you know, unless you want to be dead, you're going to use the earth and you're displacing species and you're causing harm. So what's the least and what's the most responsible way? Um, wood, you know, you want to burn it efficiently. Like I said, high firebox temperatures is going to be the cleanest burn, least polluting. Um, you want to not have a, have a good draw. So if you open your, your, your uh, firebox and it's puffing out smoke while it's hot, like you don't have a good draw flu situation, that's not good. If you puff uh, smoke into your space from a wood stove for just like a few seconds, that can uh, raise raise the particulate matter inside your home for hours to like 100 to 200 ppm above 2.5 microns, which is like not good indoor air quality. That's like a smoky, you know, like a smoke warning, you know, like we had last summer. Um, so, But you can avoid that if you set up the system good and are mindful about it. Um, but yeah, it, it can be an a, a indoor air quality hazard for sure. Um, and if you're not careful where the smoke comes out of the roof, you know, on the roof, uh, um, you know, out of the exhaust pipe and it's not high and it, it downdrafts into an open window, for sure. I mean, same with propane or, you know, oil, an oil burner. Although arguably there's bigger particulates and more of them from wood and, and less reliable, uh, less reliable 
as to what's in them because there's more variation than in a propane furnace, for instance. So those are challenges. Um, but, you know, that's like that's the bad impact from wood. It's right there on site. We live with it. Propane, well, go check out where the stuff was fracked. You know, go, go, go look at the pipeline that was installed. Go with oil. Go, go to where, you know, we're not seeing the impacts on, on the other systems. Yeah, electric right. you know we act, so really a lot of the modern systems i don't think are any less impact we've just figured out how to export that impact to to poor to poorer places economically essentially and and other countries that are that are poor as well so you know but that's an important question it is an air quality um potential challenge and you know it's also i think from the dust too um having wood and kindling in your house and ash and clean the stove like that creates dust. You got to be really mindful with that. Our our wood stove is definitely the dirtiest thing in the house. Like it creates dust. That's not healthy. But like it, to me, it's like a no brainer that I'm going to still use it. I'm going to have that trade. I, I take care of my health in a lot of other ways. Yeah. Okay. I have some air quality. Um, you know, my air quality is harmed a little bit from my wood stove, and you know, but I, that's okay with me <laughs> to some extent. You know. Yeah, I I think uh, so. I mean, like I call the. Uh American Lung Association, right? And this really drove me nuts. They said that the, there's no safe amount of particulate. No safe amount. And, you know, right. it's like, really? You I mean, we've been living in, in structures, Native Americans are in roundhouses and longhouses. We've been around these fireplaces. All this time, there's just no safe amount. Like, that's it? Yeah. That's the scientific right. answer? That's what we're going to go with? Right. I don't know. What I mean, what are, what about the sides of you keeping in shape doing your own firewood? You know, isn't that good? Right. The impre- yeah. Your your. I mean, my heating system requires I spend many hours outside in the woods, forest bathing. You know, in negative ions and you know happy places with fresh air and sunshine. Yeah, you have to look at the whole the whole picture for sure. Well, they say there's no safe amount. So any particulate you are. Being unsafe. I don't know. I mean, that's that's like set. You wouldn't drive a car at that point. You'd just be like, forget it. Yeah. Not going, right. not going well, anywhere. It, yeah. Yeah. If you were trying to actually heed that in terms of all aspects of your life, I mean, you'd be throwing you know, so many things. Out. You'd have to throw so many things out. Yeah. What do you think about catalytic versus not catalytic in the wood stove? Oh, um, I was looking. I bought mine last year. And honestly, the upgraded version, it was only 3% difference in efficiency. And uh, I've opted for the non-catalytic version for more reasons than that. But uh, the maintenance, the warranty adjustments, and all that played a factor for me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I had a non- I've lived with like 15-plus different versions of wood stoves because we rented homes when I was at UVM in college living in Vermont and trying different stoves. So... Why? And the first wood stove I bought when I got my house here was a Hearthstone Harvest with a catalyst. And I will never buy a stove with a catalyst again. I think they figured out how to get them just as efficient with gas reburn to avoid the catalyst, which the catalyst is expensive. It doesn't last very long. It has all sorts of issues. And they, you have to replace them, and they're, they're expensive. So, yeah, I, I don't think there's now any good reason to have to have a catalyst. Yeah, I agree. Like I said, I, I looked at the manufacturer's website, and as I was uh, looking at my purchase options, they claim 
difference in efficiency. Wow. So, I, I didn't forget. know they still made catalytic stoves. I thought they all figured out that they could just do it with gas reburn and not even have all that. Oh, well, in New York State, they were given a, a tax rebate, on, uh, but you had to have a catalytic version. And uh, wow. so, again, another purchase factor, and I opted out of the tax rebate because, again, it's just less less made. Wow. For the tax rebate, what a, what's it going to cost me to replace the thing in six to ten yeah. years or less? Who knows? Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. Vermont's really like sound pretty good <laughs> right now. <laughs> I know. A lot. This guy doesn't know about rules and regs down here. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, they're, 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 they're pushing catalytics. They're pushing, uh, what do you call it? Uh, heat pumps. Heat, oh, man, New York State's falling in love with heat pumps. Everyone and their brother's getting one now. Yep. Tons oh, of rebates. No, no, I know. It's, it is, that crazy is happening here, too. And, you know, those things are all, like, they all are going to take a way more maintenance. And you don't, you're not looking at the whole cost when you, when you just go buy it up front, especially with the state tax dollars being like, here, do it. We'll pay for many thousands of dollars of it. Yeah. It's, it's a very artificial, yeah, artificial economy. Um, that's unfortunate they're pushing the catalyst because, like, I thought the stove manufacturers themselves were, like, moving away from it at some with a bunch of bureaucrats who just say, oh, yeah, catalytic stove sounds cleaner. Let's push those and not realizing the overall impact may even be more from a catalytic stove. It's all about the wave of flame with the reburns. It's a beautiful thing. When it's you get fun. that that wave of flame on top, burning the volatile gases, as you said before, Ben, that's what, you know, it's awesome. You don't need no stinking catalyst. My wife calls it baby crack. Baby what? Crack. <laughs> crack cocaine. What are you t- we said that when the baby's cranky, we set her in front of the wood stove, she just stares at it. Oh, I got you. Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. It's baby crack. I know what you're talking about. CPS is on their way. <laughs> It's our TV. We we don't have a TV. We just we stare at the window. A big window, big glass window in the doors. Uh, I think it's essential to yeah. have glass. Absolutely. And get a bat if you're really into the resiliency of this, like just utter reliability. Go out and buy a backup piece of stove glass because that's really the only thing that can break on the stove. That would be like, oh, we can't run the stove now because it's broken. So with every stove we've ever had, we go to the wood stove. Um, place down the road and say, hey, we, we want this, another piece of glass like this. We label it, put it in a nice bubble wrap on the shelf. Here's the backup, you know, piece of glass for it. And ben, we're going to take a break. I got some questions about stovepipe and venting uh, next, but if you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest. Tonight's topic is wood heating with whole systems designs. Ben Falk.
If you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest. Every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., talk about a different forest-related topic. Tonight's topic is wood heating with whole systems designs. Ben Falk, he's up there in Vermont, but they have no code enforcement officers. <laughs> I thought New Hampshire was the land of the free. I don't know. You know it's not New York, I'll tell you that. That's I'll tell you sure. what, they want to know how many outlets you got per certain foot or whatever. This is what we've learned on this show, Ben. Is yeah. <laughs> My father lives in Gardner. They have, to have, they have to have a code enforcement officer come out to have... You can't put an outlet on an island in your kitchen. You know, like kitchen island? Not even a ground fault? I guess not. I, I don't know. I don't make the rules, Joe. I don't know. I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Ben, you still there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's dystopic right there. <sighs> Man, we're beyond dystopic. I mean, we, we got people. I, I don't know. I'm not going to get into it. Anyway, um, stove piping and venting. I feel like this is very important. It doesn't get... Uh, discussed enough yeah well the the um the some of the venting issues i just mentioned in terms of you know having an air quality impact um i mean some of my other takes on things i've learned about venting is um you know you want to go up through the middle of the house and through the roof ideally right at the ridge which is the easiest place to avoid leaks and also snow avalanches coming into the side of the pipe and having to avoid, uh, you could avoid a cricket and dealing with all that. Um, and you get more of the heat, you know, inside the building because the stovepipe's pretty warm. And you get, even more importantly, is you're getting less creosote condensate in the pipe because as soon as the hot pipe goes outside is where, that's really where the creosote builds up. And so you, you have less of that, less of a chimney fire hazard to go straight up through the... Plus, you want the wood stove in the middle of the house almost all the time or somewhere not against an outside wall. So you go up through, out the roof is ideal. Um, and, I mean, there's a lot to think about. There's all the different choices of materials, you know, double wall, stainless, 
like Excel or what they used to call metal best. This is like super expensive. It's insanely expensive how how much that stuff is. But ridiculous. You want to you want to avoid any curves. That's really expensive, and it's also very hard to clean and tends to be a source of debris forming slash hazards. I mean, chimney fires are a real issue. We check. I check my stovepipes every year, and I've basically never had to clean them after I got good at burning very dry wood, and that's where emphasis on very dry wood. Yeah, I agree. I, my, I, I, you know, I, I, every three years I'll try to clean it, and it's pointless. It, there's nothing in there. Yeah, that's I, great. I ran a brush down beginning of this season, and again, pointless. It took was, me more time taking the damn stuff apart, man. Climbing oh, up yeah, the ladder. It's, a, it's a pain to clean most, most stovepipes. I have one setup, actually, in this building where I can go to the top of the roof, feed the thing right down the brush, and it, it's great. But it, it's still, you know, something to do. And Yeah, big clogs are burning. More people burn green wood that's way too green. And um, you know, got to go out of your way to dry it in this climate. Yeah. What, about, sure. what about the height of the pipe? Taller the better, more draft, or is there a sweet spot? Short pipe's too small? You know... Yeah, I think the taller and warmer it is, the more draft you get. But, yeah, at some point you have enough draft. Um, I don't think – I've never put a wood stove on a second floor, so I'm always going up through the second floor. Like, I've never installed a system that has less than, like, 20, 25 feet of pipe. So, although we do have one system that goes from 6-inch to 8-inch pipe, and that has not the best draw, and I don't. I wouldn't think that would reduce it. But there was already an eight-inch double wall going through the roof, so I wanted. It. But and it's weird, but that that system doesn't draw as well as the others. Bigger fluids, why? Yeah, that doesn't. It's not staying hot. That's my experience. It's, if it's too big, it won't draft. Mm. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I think stick with six inch. If you know, I would have just bought six inch if, if we had to buy it all. I just think about the worst flu. The worst flu would be like what they had back in the day was like a stone flu. Right? Mm -hmm. It's huge. Right. And it's right. cold and it's not going to draft unless you right. were cooking all day inside of it, you know, like the Dutch did. Right. Here in the that's, a good, that's a very good way to think about it. Exactly. That's the opposite of, of it drafting yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, you New Englanders, bad. you guys put them right in the middle. It makes sense. No one does that in New York, you know? No. We don't do that. We're like, no, I'll put it on know, one end. One end of the house. The valley. Yeah, you went straight up the side, up the side with all this double wall. And it's so, I mean, it's done like three and a half grand on, you know, 45 feet of double wall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we don't, we just, it's cultural. That's definitely a New England thing. They go in the middle. And uh, for some reason, us New Yorkers, yeah. we uh, don't like stuff in the middle. No, I don't want yeah, this pipe in the middle I mean, of my house. A lot of, a lot of built environment differences. I mean, I grew up in the Empire State. I'm from Rochester, New York, originally, oh. outside, just outside of Rochester, Brighton. And, um, you know, also standing seam roofs. You know, you go to New England, it's all standing seam roofs up in snow country. Great roofs compared to asphalt. And you go to New York State, even up in the Adirondacks, and you don't see standing seam metal at all. No, it's, it's like... It's like looked down upon when someone, you know, if, if, it almost seems to me like if someone says, yeah, I put on a metal roof when I needed to replace it, it's almost like they're ashamed of it to say. I don't That's like so the metal, weird, though. Cause I, here, I mean, here, asphalt's looked down upon, which I think is, I, I look down upon. I mean, it's not as good of a roof as a metal. I mean, yeah, um, it shed, metal just sheds snow. It's not going to leak if it's installed half right at all. Um, How do you walk on it, yeah. though? How do you walk on it? Yeah, it's you. You have to it has to be dry, and uh, it has to be not 
very steep. Yeah, it's nah, to get that, around that, that, that right there is a no-go. Because I was going to do it. <laughs> I looked down on asphalt, and then all of a sudden it occurred to me, how am I going to clean my stovepipe? And, I, and, and I, you know, as a forester, I'm looking 10, 20 years down the line. I'm not going to be younger in 20 years. Right. I can't imagine right. myself at 62 being like, I'm going to go climb on my metal roof and slip on my ass. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It doesn't sound a, good. One of our buildings has a standing seam, but it's pretty low angle. It might be like 512, and you can walk on it, you know, right. make sure it's a dry day. But Sure. Um, it's not that steep. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, and you know, like things like drugs. There's many million-dollar homes up in Vermont that have no garage. Like, garages are not cool up here, which I think is amazing because it's so snowy. And where I grew up, the cheapest little house has a garage, you know. A lot of them have garages bigger than the square footage. (laughs) That is totally true. That is totally true, right? Yeah, there's a road I pass. He's got to be a trucker or something because he's, I mean, he's got a small house, a single wide trailer type house, but the garage that's attached to it's got to be like 3,000 square feet. Wow. <laughs> I got to work on my truck. It's huge. <laughs> hey, we only got seven minutes left here, Ben. We got to, we got to go through some stuff here. So we got to ask him about Ash. Yeah, go ahead. Ash, we ask everybody. Well, what's your opinion on, on splitting? Well, ash, ash, white ash, the wood, or yeah, yeah, yeah. White, no, white ash, the wood. Yeah, it's not, not wood yeah. ash. Um, I love it. I love how easy it is to split. I mean, I noticed that it, I think I get a lot less of a coal bed than with sugar maple, uh, even though I noticed it's according to the charts, it's not much less BTUs than sugar maple. But I, I, I don't agree. I mean, uh, it's a cold night. I'm putting on sugar maple. Yellow birch and beech, yeah. And I, I like to split my ash for kindling, and I, you know that's not my all nighter log go to. Absolutely, I I concur. Well, he's not from from Red Oak land, so yeah. That you guys I don't have. Yeah, I ain't burning red oak. I don't have oak to burn. Yeah. No oak. You don't have the pleasure no. to split oak then. Oak. No, I've never burned a piece of red oak. I don't know what it would be like. It'd probably be nice. It is. If you want to show off in your next YouTube video, go down to Rochester or whoever. Get some oak. Bring it back. Show yourself splitting <laughs> wood. You will look like you know what you're doing. They'll be like, wow, this guy's really good. This guy's really good. You do it one hand, it just splits. Like, this guy's the best ever, right? Yeah, even like those little yeah, pin I mean, knots in oak, they just pop apart. Which, with ash, they want to they want to hold together. You can get a, a nice piece of ash to split, but if there's any little type but knot in there, it hangs on. I didn't it, realize red oak was that, was that rivable, was that splittable. That's cool. It's the best. Yeah. It's wow. Awesome. And it's then you get the higher yeah. BTUs out of it, so it's even better. It's the same as sugar maple, you know, or beech. Wow, that's a real dream. I mean, I've planted dozens, many dozens of, well, hundreds and hundreds of oak trees, mostly bur oak, especially in swamp white, and but some red. So someday maybe my son will have the pleasure of burning some red oak. There you go. There you go. So um, if you're just missing the show, we're talking to Ben Falcon about wood heating. And, uh, okay, let's talk about ashes now, not the white ash. I'm tired of t- talking about white ash dying. Anyway, yeah, ashes. What do you do with those things? So... I put as much in my garden as I can. Uh, I once overdid it years ago. It can totally uh, cause a state of suspended animation for some of your veggies if you put too much in. Um, but I, I, we have pretty acidic soils here in the mountains, so we're able to put, I forget how much, it's basically half a bucket, a few hundred square feet a year. And so I'm, I'm constantly putting it in my garden, and then when I'm done with that every winter, 
I just start shaking it on my best fruit trees and even out in the pasture, you know, I'm the, the more, I'll never have too much ash because we have like acres of, of landscape. We'd like to raise the pH and calcium levels on it and P and K too, um, potassium and phosphorus. So yeah, I love it, but I no longer burn any cardboard. I don't burn any like take, take, um, take home food containers. Like I'm realizing the peat that there's a lot of PFAS. And a lot of random stuff, like even newspaper. I start my fire now with um, birch bark, and I, I try not to put anything in the fire that I don't want to eat because it's going to be in my garden and in my food, at least the things that don't break down. And um, especially with the whole realization about the forever chemicals, it just made us be a little more careful with all that. Um, yeah, we use them. Uh, my wife got stuck in the driveway this morning, so there you go. Right, John? Yeah. Did the ashes save the day? She said it worked. Nice. I wasn't there. John was Win there and John. said, put down some ashes <laughs> for Christ's sake. She wanted that front-wheel drive odyssey. We had the Sienna all-wheel drive, man. <laughs> you know? She's got to get the Starbucks. She's addi- addicted. She's an addict. So, Ben, you got a, um, a whole course online, right, for this teaching about some of the topics we talked about today? Yeah, for sure. We, we, we've done two online wood heat intensive uh where yeah we've recorded them there and that that whole course is available on our website to get into the real nitty-gritty of how to do what i've talked about with getting all your heat and hot water on two and we get all of it on two cords we only burn two cords every winter for all our heat all our winter hot water that's for three people three showers laundry dishes every day two cords like yeah how big is your house 1,800 square feet, and it's not very well insulated. I mean, the whole west wall in one room is glass, and it's pretty drafty. I mean, what kind of wood stove uh, you got? It's a JA Roby yeah. from Quebec, and it's just a high. It's just a high efficiency. I mean, maybe it's 60, 65 percent. I mean, there's there's other wood stoves that high, right? But it, I think it's the highest efficiency cook stove model that I could find. And how high? How hot does your house get? I'm curious. Um, I burned two and a quarter last year, but it's like mild. In the, when it's in the 20, 20 degrees or up, we're, 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 it's cozy. It's like 70, depending on how far you are from the stove. All right. Um, and it's warm up, just as warm upstairs. The bottom floor is definitely cool. Yeah. Um, and when it gets zero, we put a hat on, and it probably doesn't really want to get above 60, 65 over much of the house, but we hang out by the stove. So it's, it's definitely cooler than... I mean, a lot of people who are used to heating with wood stove would have no problem with it. But at the same time, where you guys are, is you know, markedly warmer than here. So more yeah, easily yeah. keep well, up. Well, we got mountains, too. But, it, you know, um, yeah, my wife would be dead at 65. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you guys are wearing hats. We're walking around in shorts no, like, like it's Florida in there. <laughs> I prefer, I don't burn, uh, I don't live somewhere with a wood stove, but I do prefer a cooler. I don't know. I was yeah. raised in a, a very frugal heating environment. So, yeah, we're putting uh, it on. No, I guess Shag Bar Kickery and Red Oak. All right. Yeah. We're snobs down here. We got all sorts of wood. You put on Shag Bar oh, Kickery, do, man, do. and it's going to get, you, you know, that's you equivalent know. to anthracite coal. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, two cords is like, you, you can go That's harvest. nothing. What's you that? You can go forage wood for two cords, you know, get scraps. It's like, it's not that much no, wood. No, not at all. That's great. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Two cords, man. That's, that's, you can't beat that. No. I mean, we have a, a office 
that we've lived in, and that's 1,500 square feet, and it's really well insulated. Honestly, with a low-efficiency stove, we've had trouble getting through a cord and a half some winters. Yeah. Mm. That's but awesome. that's a well-insulated house. It's a totally different beast. I mean, <laughs> most few houses are not well-insulated, and they're not really going to make it well-insulated too easily either. Right. Well, Ben, uh, believe it or not, that's all the time we have on From the Forest. We really appreciate you um, coming on, taking the time. And, again, I just wanted to say that people should take your uh, your course there, the, the heat, what is it, heat-intensive course, wood-intensive course? Yeah, wood-heat-intensive. Yeah, it looks great and and definitely needed. Um, a lot of people making mistakes, myself included, not as much as I used to, but, yeah, definitely important. Sure. But, uh, yeah. Well, th- thanks for your time, guys. This was great. You know, I'm glad people are talking about it. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right. Take care, Ben. If you just missed the show, that was uh, Ben Falk from Whole Systems Designs over there in Vermont talking about wood heating, and that's all the time I got. You guys got anything? That's it. Good night, everyone. Good night. All right. Have a good night. Oh, the neon lights were flashing and the icy wind did blow. Seeped into his shoes and the drizzle turned to snow His eyes were red, his hopes were dead And the wine was running low And the old man came home From the forest His tears fell on the sidewalk As he stumbled in the street A dozen faces stopped to stare Stopped to speak For his castle was a hallway And the bottle was his friend And the old man stumbled in From the forest Up a dark and dingy staircase The old man made his way His ragged coat around him As upon his cot he lay WIOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. The Four County Library System and Bookmobile, the library on wheels that visits communities in Broome, Shenango, Delaware, and Otsego counties with all kinds of books, fiction, nonfiction, children's, even large print audiobooks and DVDs. Requests for specific books, authors, or topics, library cards, and the bookmobile schedule at 4CLS.org. The number 4CLS.org or 607-723-8236. The Slighter Agency on Main Street in Margaretville, a neighborhood independent insurance agency educating consumers about insurance decisions after a life-changing event, such as a marriage, divorce, death, a job-related change in benefits, and about coverage options. Open Monday through Friday, 830 to 5. More information at 845-586-2641 or SlighterAgency.com. The Catskill Mountain Foundation, celebrating decades of arts on the mountaintop with countless performances, classes, and community events each year. From Grammy Award-winning musical performances to dance and art classes for all ages, including a stage version of the cult movie classic, The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Dates, times, and ticket info at CatskillMTN.com. 
WIOX Roxbury is supported by you. And a really easy way to support WIOX is to donate your car or truck. 